you may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. The founding member of Grand Funk Railroad, and I'm listening to Nostalgic Radio in Cars, where they'll knock you alive. Welcome here to into Nostalgic Radio Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Run to your computers and Google Tantalk, 1340.com. And you can see me live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our shows, don't forget to check out NostalgicRadioAndCars.com. That's where you can go back and you can check all the archives. We refer to it sometimes casually as a podcast, but it's basically an archive page. Hey, we got a great show for you tonight. Um... Good evening, Ed. How you doing? I'm just working the board here. Working, 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 working. working. Okay. So <laughs> hopefully we don't have you too confused tonight. You know how this this is this is one of those shows. But at any rate, I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Hope everybody had a really, really, really good uh, New Year's. And um, so we're here in, in Clearwater. I was hoping for some snow. But we didn't get any snow because I'm from out west, and usually this time of year we have snow, and it gives you that kind of really cool Christmas. Christmassy kind of, you know, thing, you know, feeling the ambiance, the atmosphere. And, but when you walk outside and you see sunshine and you see green grass and green trees and green everything else and a beautiful beach that we have here in Clearwater Beach, mm, I don't know. Anyway, that's just me. That's just me. But I'm sure there's a lot of people from up north that are probably saying, you know what? I don't really want to shovel any snow. I just want to go to Florida and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. The beaches. And uh, since we have a really cool beach on here, I don't blame them. Anyway, all right, so uh, we are, this is the last show for the year, so that technically this would be considered our New Year's Eve show. Shoo, 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 really big shoo tonight. And uh, we got a very special guest coming on here tonight. We're going to finish the year with a uh, musician. And he's a notable musician, but I'm going to keep you in suspense until um, we have him on the show. And, uh, now, next week, what do we got coming up? Well, obviously, if you want to find out where all the car shows are, definitely check out flacarshows.com. That's where all the car shows in the state of Florida are taking place. Mecom is next week. Begins on the 2nd. And we'll probably have our good friend John. You know, he's the voice of Mecom. And uh, my understanding is there's 4,000 cars. Let me say that again. 4,000 
cars going to the auction. That's a lot of cars. So it's two weeks, basically, 11, 12 days, something like that. So let's just call it two weeks. And I'm going to go over there the first week because that's when all the really cool cars are. i got tons of friends from uh, up north, from Chicago, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan coming down. A lot of guys from out west. But mostly it's the Midwest guys that come over here and attack this particular auction. And there's some really, really cool stuff. Now, if you get there on the very first part of the auction, typically, you know, you get some really, really good deals. Because usually Thursday, Friday, Saturday... It goes at it, so it'll go at it this week, and obviously they'll save some of the best for last, and the same thing will take place um, in the in the following week. But during the week, you know, at odd times, there are some really, really, really good deals out there. So if you really, really want to get into the collector car hobby, um, definitely go check out Meekums because got, it's. I mean, besides the really cool selection of cars, um, they got. Really cool deals, and there's just a lot of stuff. It's it's like a really cool car show, you know. But all you have to do is just get your checkbook out and go home with something. So, anyway, on that note, um, on the 21st of the month, our good friends over at Festivals of Speed is having the 20th anniversary of Festival of Speed down at the Vinoy Park, Vinoy Hotel in St. Petersburg. So they're expecting a few three, four hundred cars, maybe something like that. And uh, some entertainment. So it should be a lot of fun. That is Festivals of Speed. Check out festivalsofspeed.com. Obviously, check out meekumauctions.com and flacarshows.com. But more importantly, check out nostalgicradioandcars.com and golfstreammotorsports.com. And then next week, we're going to kind of talk. We're going to have John on the show. And I'm going to be, I probably have a couple local guys that are going to come on. And we're going to talk about some cars because I heard a rumor about something that's really, really cool. My friend, um, uh, a buddy of mine told me about this car today, Randy, and I was supposed to go by and take a look at it, but I haven't, and I'm going to do it tomorrow probably, and it's a rare, we'll see how rare and how real it is, a 69, could be 68, but 69 Ford Galaxy convertible with a factory four-speed. That is rare. It's rare to find a four-speed in a big full-size car. Anyway, Ford wasn't really, eh, they didn't do a lot of those, but General Motors and Chrysler did a lot, but Ford did few. They did in the early 60s, but not so much in the late 60s, early 70s. So that will be an interesting piece. It's actually a very, very collectible car. Not a big money car, but a very collectible car. Anyway, on that note, I think what we're going to do is Ed is going to go ahead and fire up the stair. I didn't even pick a song for tonight, did I? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. Go Google, or let's play Eric Clapton, Lay Down Sally. That came out in 1978, 79, Lay Down Sally. I think that's a good song. We'll play that one. And uh, because, because my upcoming guest has a connection with that particular song. Now, is Lay Down Sally country, or is it rock and roll, or what exactly is it? But... This gentleman will be here since he co-wrote the song with Mr. Eric Clapton, and uh, he will tell us. He will tell us. And uh, we got it? Go ahead. Fire that bad boy up. You're tuning into Nostalgia Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with our special guest for the evening. Yourself at home and stay with me. And don't you ever leave. Lay down, 
This is Neil Young, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you tune into <laughs> Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman, this very distinguished gentleman, is a rock and rolls, blues, and country singer-songwriter. But wait a minute, there's more to that. He's also, besides being a session musician, that has actually worked with the Bee Gees, Joe Cocker, Stephen Stills, Kenny Rogers. He also co-wrote that song that I just played, Lay Down Sally, with Eric Clapton. I'm delighted to welcome the show this evening. George Terry. George, how are you this evening? Hey, well, how are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good, making it through the Christmas day. Yeah, well, Merry Christmas to you. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That was that was just a, a moment ago. <laughs> that was just a moment ago. Well, now, I played the song Lay Down Sally, right. and my understanding is you co-wrote that song with Mr. Eric Clapton, and also at the time... There was a discussion of whether that was a country song, a rock and roll song, or what type of song. So tell yeah. our listeners, including myself, uh, the roots and the origin of that song and the, uh, and the songwriting. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we were at, uh, let's see, Olympic Studios over in uh, England, and uh, Eric just kind of had the room booked. And we go in. Eric really didn't have too much material. He just had some old, old blues tunes and stuff that we were doing. So uh, we had a little back room that was had some entertainment in it. So he had a foosball table, things like that. So Eric's playing foosball with one of the roadies and having fun. And he just turns around to me and he says, "Let's write a song called Lay Down Sally," just like that, you know. And he had the title. 
So I said, well, uh, I'll see what I can come up with. And I went into the studio, picked up a, my little electric guitar, and I just sat and I started playing some J.J. Kale-type riffs and, stu- and such. And I came up with a chorus and a first verse. And then Marcy Levy came by, and I said, Marcy, you know, let's work on the lyrics and all that. So she kind of came up with lyrics and had everything the following day. <clears throat> the following day. Uh, so it's kind of how it came about, and uh, so Eric was the inspiration because he named the tune. <laughs> and then as far as being country, I, you know, I, like I said, I took those J.J. Kale type of of licks and that kind of feel to it. So yes, it's got that country thing. Well, now it's, men- it's funny that you mentioned J.J. Kale because he did a number of songs which Eric did uh, covers on. I think. Um, Let's see. Oh yeah, we did. After we did midnight. Cocaine. Yeah, cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, that actually, I was driving in the car with Eric, and it came on the radio, and Eric said, "Hey, that's a that's a good song." I said, "Well, why don't we just do a cover?" So that came about just from a car ride. Oh no, kidding! Now, 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 when let's go back. Let's let's go back. Let's go way back into way back. Uh, way back. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when when you were a little, when you were a youngster. And uh, you were a military um, child, so to speak, and your dad traveled. And you mentioned oh, yeah. earlier that uh, you actually were involved in one of the Bob Hope uh, um, festivities that they used to do uh, around the country, around the world, and from with the military. Yeah, actually, I, my dad was actually stationed over in Morocco at the time in Africa, and he was uh, in the Bob Hope show. He was like uh, the entertainment. Co- officer, coordinator, he was a captain. So uh, I, I was like probably five years old or so. So he took me along on a couple of the shows, and uh, I just sat in, and Bob Hope would take me up on stage, and I would sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Hey, it's a Christmas thing. True. You know there yeah. you go. I would sing that as a little kid, and then Bob would uh, put me on his knee and ask me a bunch of questions, and I was supposed to be like, a wise ass, <laughs> you know. Like saying, yeah, "You're not so hot," you know. Yeah, da, da, da. So they gave me a few things I could say. <laughs> but you know, it's funny now. Now that that takes me back to, and I'm sure you remember the old Art Link Letter Show. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I remember when he would do the show. It was called "The Kids Say the Kids Darndest Things." Thing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. So. You got it. So, all right. So then, uh, how did your 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 foray 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 uh, if I said that right into okay. uh, so, yeah? Well, in, the, in other words, how did you get into music? I mean, you know, playing guitar, and piano, or whatever. What, what are other instruments you play? Uh, actually, I play piano and cello and uh, you know ukulele. Anything that has a string on it, I could pretty much pick up and and do. And and of course, if you play piano, you can play any kind of synthesizer. So. I would I would have a synthesizer. I play string lines or things on or whatever. But that all started. I guess my grandmother uh, got me a little box guitar, and uh, and it had you know really high strings and it was really horrible. But I would tune each string and play it. Just pluck the string as a song would play on the radio, and I got interested in it. So my mom got me a better guitar. So I would just sit with the radio station on. And I was probably, I must have been about 15, I guess, something like that, just so my hands were big enough to play the guitar. 
and I would listen to a song, and back then it was Everly Brothers coming on the radio, you know, things like that. So I would uh, play along with it best I could and learn how to tune, and so most everything was learned by ear. Um, and then I think I picked up a Mel Bay book that showed me how to make a correct chord. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So it's fair to say then that you started playing by ear. Now, when you were doing this, were you playing chords or just playing single strings and fingy back and forth, kind of like we do on a piano? Yeah, I kind of I kind of started with the single strings until I learned how to tune the guitar and actually make a chord. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, you know, the aha moment every time I'd hit a chord and it sounded like the record. You know, so I went, ah, that's good. But I had to learn how to play along with the record and be in time with it because the, it's like the radio, so it would only play it once and it'd maybe play it again, you know, 20 minutes to an hour later. So I would have to quickly learn what I could of that song and then get on with whatever other ones were coming on the radio. Were you like were you like a lot of guys as a teenager? Did you kind of like start uh, with a couple guys and start a band? Uh, well, as soon as I was good enough to play, I, I definitely had a little a little band together. And of course, everybody was always older than me, so uh, I had a band called the uh, Rat Finks. <laughs> Rat Finks. <laughs> yeah, kind of kind of went off of that. Uh, uh, I forget the guy. Uh, Ed Roth. Uh, Ed Roth and the Rat Finks, right? Yeah, I, and then it was uh, the Vandals. Okay. I had, a, I had a, and we actually did a record called "We're the Vandals," and and uh, and that that actually sold some some records. No kidding. And, yeah, and then uh, a little later on, when things evolved and I got a little better, uh, <clears throat> I I hooked up with a band called Proctor Amusement Company, and in order for me to, to play in the band, I had to play bass. So I, I bought a bass and I played in a band, and we used to play on the Rick Shaw show, which was WQAM down in Miami. Uh, he had a Rick Shaw, who was a, a DJ, had a TV show. Interesting. So we were the house band on a TV show, and we did all these cover songs. And then that evolved into being a, a group called Game. And I don't know if you heard them. They were no. a pretty good South Florida type band. And, and I actually moved back into playing lead guitar when Game came on after well, doing bass for a while. Well, take us to a timeline now. Okay, so your 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 father's in the military. You're traveling yep. around. So, what state would you say you kind of came from before you came to Florida? Uh, actually, Philadelphia was you know where I was born. Okay, and then, and then being an Air Force brat, I was everywhere in the world. And then I ended up in Florida because my aunt lived down here, so my mom came down, we visited my aunt. And then I uh, uh, went to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, where my grandparents were the, on my father's side, and uh, hung out there for a while, and then back to Florida. So it was probably just Knoxville and Tennessee and Florida, mostly Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Hollywood, Florida. And uh, that's that's probably the only states. I'd visit all the other ones, but I never really lived there too long. That's interesting. All right, so when you had this uh, game show gig down there, or, or the game... Uh, we had a reunion, I, I guess, in September of this year. No kidding? Really? Yeah, yeah. it was a, just a little reunion show. We didn't rehearse anything. We just said, oh, we'll get together. Everybody was still alive, so that was a plus. Uh-huh. You know, because a, a lot, couple of guys were older than me. 
And uh, we just got together and played some of the old songs we did with Game. And then, of course, I think I did Lay Down Sally and maybe Mainline Florida just because I did those with Eric. And, uh, you know, we just had a, a good time and didn't rehearse anything, so we made a few mistakes. But luckily enough, we remembered how the songs went pretty well. <laughs> so when you were doing this for this uh, radio show back in the day, what, how old were you then? Oh, gee, let me think. Uh, probably in my early 20s, uh, 22 or 3, okay. something like that. Did, and, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just, I was just thinking, because back then... I, I, I was doing uh, things even earlier, like in 1965, I think, was the Vandals. And I was a really young kid then. And I was only 15. And uh, that was actually almost more fun than it was playing in the game band, you know, because we got to play all the classic songs and all those, you know, like the stuff that was coming out of England at the time. Um. Did you have any? Uh, did you go to any of the universities here in the state of Florida? Uh, I went to Miami Dade Junior. Okay. And uh, that, that's where I took up cello. So I took a cello course and did a couple music things there, and and uh, majored in chemistry for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> huh. Okay. And uh, and just graduated there, and uh, never moved on to do anything else because I I started at the studio. And uh, mostly hung out at Criteria Studios, and uh, Mac Emmerman, who owned the studio, would uh, let me hang out. And uh, I ended up playing on a bunch of people's commercials, and uh, then started doing major records as people would come in that needed a guitar player or something. Well, tell us about Criteria Studios, because they're actually pretty famous, but I believe now, what, they're owned by Hip Hop or something like that? or. Uh, I, they, I think they got another name, but okay. uh, I think, uh, 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 let me think, uh, Fletcher, I think, is uh, the name of the guy that's still running it from then, as it turned around. But Criteria was, was a, a, an amazing place. I mean, I, I, I actually got to be good friends with Eric there because I, I saw him there when they was doing Derek and the Dominoes, the Layla Sessions. Uh-huh. And I had done a bunch of stuff with Tommy Dowd, the producer and engineer. And uh, so I was allowed to go in the studio and hang out and, and, you know, see the tracks and, you know, talk to everybody and uh, even make some suggestions, you know, of did you like that take or uh, do you think it should be slower or faster, you know, little idiotic things that you talk about. But, uh, and on top of that, uh, also, Dwayne Allman, who I met when he was in the Allman Joys, they did gigs in, in Tampa, and uh, I got to know him way back then, and then all of a sudden he pops up at Criteria because Eric wanted to go see an Allman Brothers show. No kidding. So I got to see Greg again, and it, that was good, and and Dwayne, so mostly Dwayne. You know, Greg, Greg wasn't there very long. It was like a 10 minutes. <laughs> How good when now I got to ask you this because you you talked about Dwayne Allman, which was an amazing guitarist, obviously Eric Clapton. So did these guys have any influence? Because I was going to ask you. So like in the sixties, if you're playing like sixties pop music, you know, I mean a lot of them were open chords. There really wasn't a ton of lead back in those days, and that kind of evolved. 
you know, and then you know, yeah. guys like Beck and and uh, and uh, Jimmy Page, and those are the guys over there. But you know, when you look at it on the American side, guys that didn't get a lot of credit was you know like Glenn Campbell, who was also a session musician. Yeah, you know, Roy Glenn was great. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, so, uh, but and and then I think at some point I was reading that uh, Dwayne was also a sessions uh, guitarist, and he also was up at Muscle shows, and uh, in Nashville, and then obviously down there at Criteria. Yeah, but I've heard stories about that. Didn't really know too much about it, but uh, but yeah, I, I remember being at Muscle Muscle Shoals doing a few things there myself. Probably uh, with Freddie King or something. Uh, I think I was doing some records with him, and uh, yeah, it was mentioned, you know, that he was there at one point. So now, tell us about the life of a of a sessions musician. I'm I, I was always told that there's. You've got to be on your game, and you almost have to be better than than the than the headlining guitarist himself. True or false? Or uh, well, I I had my own little studio niche. Okay, my own little thing that I did because I I didn't read music. You know, to I didn't read the notes on the page or follow any of that. I would talk ahead of time with the producer and the artist, and I'd say, look, here's what how I work. I, I, you give me a chord chart to how your song goes, and you know you do go along and play the song with me in the band, and I will just make up parts, and I'll throw them out, and if you like the part, we keep the part, and if not, I'll switch and I'll do some other part, because I'm always listening to the other players in the band so that I could fit around them and make more of a of a finished record, you know, instead of just covering everybody's part and just playing everything all the time you know so I, I just learned that from listening to records all the time so what's this guitar player doing I used to listen to uh, 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 you know, some old Elvis Presley things and uh, even Ricky Nelson you know remember Eric Burton uh, uh, it wasn't Eric it was James Burton James Burton yeah out of Texas yeah, James was Burton right. one of my favorite guitar players I learned so much from him when he was working uh, in the studios and uh, doing those records with uh, Ricky Nelson and he also he was later he was with Elvis Presley that's right in the 70s and he did Elvis and, and Ricky and he, he played that that twangy Telecaster man and it was <laughs> like that's what I want I want to get one like that and play you know, I even uh, learned a couple of his licks, and, and it was like, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty simple. Went on doing that. But in the studio, like I was saying, I would uh, just kind of just follow my own path, and, and they would either like it or not. And, like, even when I, when I worked with Barry Gibb in the studio, doing a lot of his songs and, and different artists like Barbara Streisand that he produced and Dionne Warwick, I would, like, do the same thing. He would let me just noodle around, play whatever, and some of my parts didn't make it as guitar parts, they'd make it as a string line, or they would make it as a horn stab, you know, some kind of thing like that. So it, it helped with the production of, of things at the time. Interesting. Now, you, uh, you also worked with Stephen Stills, who's a pretty good guitarist himself, right? No, and, I, and, I tell you, that the boy can play box guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also a, a, a military Ari Brat as well, or I think his that was in the Air Force, right? Uh, yeah, I didn't really know much of that, but uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of time in the studio with him. Did I think I did three or four albums with him? 
So that was that after he left uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and he was doing his solo stuff in the in the eighties. Yeah, I think it was. I think at the tail end of CSNY. Okay. Because uh, I remember Manassas was there uh, at uh, at Criteria, and that's we kind of got together at that time, and uh, and then later on, I just did songs with him, and I would just do because he wanted me to play the fast Eric Clapton type little things and play little bluesy stuff, and he did the rest. So mm-hmm. it was uh, it was pretty good working with him. Now you mentioned JJ Kale. You know he's he has a lot of good songs. Did you get a chance to work with him and 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 do any backup with him or any uh, um, together stuff? No, I wish I did. But the, the only time I actually saw him or met him was he actually came to Olympic Studios and we hung out for a while. But he didn't play on anything. We were just doing songs with Eric. So I think that was at the time that we did Cocaine. So I think Eric flew him over there, and he just hung out for a couple of the sessions. Let's talk about uh, Ocean, uh, is it 461? Is that the one that came? 461, yeah, I remember that place. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, people don't realize that's a real place down there in North Miami Beach. Yeah, yeah. It, actually, at the time, it was a rental house. Yeah. And uh, two girls, I think are Cindy and Jerry, I, I forget what, the oh, Home at Last was the name of their their uh, their thing they would rent out the house so they rented out the house they acquired it and they also were the housekeepers and the cooks no kidding so, so they took care of that and eric had that house and we rehearsed there at the house you know just to sit in the living room with box guitars and jamie oldacre would take a box or something and beat on it with his fingers and you know the, and we would just run down arrangements if we had something going on and that's kind of where I told Eric about uh, Mainline Florida. So, uh, well, we'll tell us about to... tell us about Mainline Florida. Tell us the story behind it. Well, it, uh, I I went into uh, Criteria with a with a, a some of the studio musicians. What well, just when when Eric was coming over from England and he was going over to see Tom Dowd and he had demos, he had eight track demos from his house because he had an eight track machine. And he got together with Tommy, and they were going to sort out some songs or something for him to do later with a record. And I was in the studio band. I had a little studio band there that we were called on to do sessions, should anybody want a drummer or a bass player or a guitar player or la-di-da. And when Eric came in, I said, hi, you know, remember me? I said, met you. He says, yeah, I met you during it. During the Layla record and all that, and I was I had a brick and backer guitar I was playing on a sofa at the time. So he sat down and you know took it from me and played. He says, "Yeah, I really like this, but the necks are too skinny." So we got a, <laughs> we got a little conversation. So I said to him, "Hey, you want to jam with the, the with the band if you're in town? You know, we don't have to do anything. We'll just sit and you can blow off some steam and jam, and we won't we won't mess with anything. And it's easy to set up because there's amps and guitars." So he came in one of the studios, and we sat and jammed, and they, I like, was jamming this riff, which was the Mainline Florida riff, and he asked me if, uh, if that was a song, and I said, well, I'll pretty, I'll pretty much make up lyrics and stuff for it, and tomorrow when we jam, I'll have a little something for it. And as the jams went on, Tommy Dowd was, like, on top of it, and he, like, got an engineer in this in the control room he got tape on the machine 
and he had the maintenance guy go into the studio and take out the red light from the record button. So you didn't know if anything was going on, and he started recording the jams. No kidding. Yeah, and then he got he got together with Robert Stigwood, and Robert Stigwood was RSO Records. So he already he had a contract with Eric to do songs or to do albums. And uh, so they put together starting to do a record, and they flew in the Tulsa Boys, which was Jamie Oldacre and Dick Sims and Carl Radel. And that, that replaced the band, except for me. Wow. So, I mean, it was an ongoing process, and uh, there, there you go. <laughs> so what song... I could, I could probably go on for hours about it, but I'm sure you want to touch other subjects. Yeah, so on, on Ocean 461, uh, which did you co-write some of the songs with uh, Eric Clapton on that? Uh, well, 461, I think, was... Uh, uh, what did I do? Was I Shot the Sheriff on that one? Yeah, I Shot the Sheriff was on. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I I brought that record, that burning record from Bob Marley. Oh, really? I brought I brought that in the studio and gave it to Eric to listen to, and he came back the next day. I think he was staying at the Thunderbird Hotel or something, so he had a little record player. Yeah. And he listened to it. And he says, "Yeah, that I Shot the Sheriff is pretty cool." I said, "Well." While we're here, we'll just run over it with the band, and this was before the Tulsa band guys. Uh-huh. So we just ran over it and did a version of it, and I think Tommy had that in the pocket that he sent to Robert Stigwood. So uh, he ran over that, and, and then we redid whatever the songs were once we got the Tulsa boys in. Interesting, interesting. Yep. I want to give a shout out to a couple guys, mutual friends of ours. Uh, one of them is Lee Dixon, and Lee, yeah. I think Lee's ch- t- uh, li- tuning in tonight. And he's the former uh, guitar tech for Eric Clapton through what, from the late seventies all the way to two thousand ten, something like that. Yeah, I don't know his era, but I know that uh, we hung out for quite a bit. And so the other thing that I want to give a shout out to is Craig Brody at Guitar Brokers down there in uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and this right. is how. Our relationship got together because when I was at Craig's a couple weeks ago, where I was looking at vintage guitars, right, and he's got this old Strat that's kind of like a natural finish, right? Yep. And I and I looked at it and I go, wow, that's pretty cool because I, I gravitate to old old guitars, right? And uh, so he said, well, that car that guitar's got some interesting story to it. I said, oh, really? Yeah. He says Eric Clapton played that and he used it on the uh, on four six one Ocean Boulevard and uh, or Ocean Ave. And I go, really? And uh, I said, can I touch it? And he goes, yeah. So we took it off the <laughs> off the wall, and I'm holding it, and I'm going, wow, I just touched the guitar that Eric Clapton had in his hand and recorded yeah. a song with, right? But so it's then, actually my guitar. It's your guitar. Okay. <laughs> so then he pulls out this picture, and I'm going to let you explain the picture. Well, well, it, actually, Craig gave me a, a, a shout-out, and he, I guess an Internet uh, email, yeah. and he wanted to verify that I once owned that guitar, and what was it? Okay. So I kind of looked at the guitar, and I looked at the way the grain was in it and all of that, and I had a photo of that particular guitar when uh, Eric and I were in the Bahamas, and we were just doing rehearsals, and would stay up most of the night, so during the day we were all pretty tired. So during the day, Eric was, was sitting playing my guitar and goofing off with it, and he fell asleep with it on the chair. So I had a picture of that, so I sent that 
to Craig to verify that that was the guitar that he had. You know, so what he did is he verified that that was the correct body and uh, everything that went down. So well, there was, was there was a dot on that guitar. Okay, like yeah, a little that, like the giveaway. That, Exactly. So he's going, well, I don't know. You know, people always say they got the real guitar, but you look at the picture and you look at the guitar and that dot's on there and there's no mistaking that that's the guitar that you own and Eric Clapton played. That is cool. Uh, as absolutely. Be. Well, you got to do that because otherwise you need you need the, uh, the person's authenticity, you know, like right. a written thing saying, yes, this is definitely it. But it's much better if you have a photo that is unmistakable. And he now, goes, there you go. It's a smoking gun, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now with Lee, you you one of the things we talked about earlier is you kind of um, kind of build guitars a little bit, and then so you and Lee have kind of been in contact, and I guess you use he's got some sort of pickups, so or you guys exchange guitar parts a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, I think that most of that was uh, we were talking about. I, I think I got in touch with him because I was putting together pickup sets. Uh-huh. And he did a really uh, intricate uh, uh, investigation, I should say, of what made Eric's uh, Blackie so special and what made you know those pickups work together. And I think he put a set together using those kind of specs. So I was you know asking him questions about that because I was building guitars on my own out of parts. Because I would get like a, a part from Music Craft, which would be like a really nice neck that had uh, maybe uh, a cross cut kind of uh, uh, way they sawed the wood. <clears throat> and it would be like a V to C type of uh, profile in the back. So I'd, I'd get a special neck, and then I would get a strap body out of just a bare body, and then have it finished and put things together. Then I had to do the electronics. So pickups were part of the electronics, so I had to make sure that the, the ohms of each pickup, the bridge one, the middle one, the neck one, all kind of matched that scenario of what was in Blackie at the time. And uh, so I did a few guitars like that, and they all were, I think, hardtail strats. Okay. They don't, they don't have a vibrato. Right. And uh, <clears throat> I, I also did things on my own, like making a blender pot, and we didn't call them blenders way back in the day uh, because we didn't know what we were doing, you know. But I would go in and take the pot, the potentiometer apart, which is like a tone control, volume control. Right. Take a little razor blade, scrape off some of the oxide on the track, and when you turn it all the way off, it shuts that that uh, control completely down. It's like out of the circuit. Yeah. So if you wire it up to two different pickups. As you turn it on, it blends in the pickup that isn't on at the time. So if you're in the treble position, it would blend in the neck pickup. And if you're in the neck pickup, it would blend in the treble position. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So they called yeah. that a blender pot. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. So, so I'd make those and you know make little treble bleed circuits for the volume control so you don't lose your high end when you turn down the volume. That always bothered me about older guitars you turn it down they get real muddy and uh so we that was the solution well let me ask you this because you know i've had a lot of musicians on and a lot of them don't mess with their guitars 
But right. talking to you, and you said that you kind of, you know, and, and of course, Lee, you know, you build guitars and stuff, and you said that Eric Clapton was, and we know, obviously know that, um, um, oh, what's his name? I'll think of here in a minute. Um, from Van Halen, uh, he was another one that would just, you know, you just you kind of get into it because you're looking for a sound. Explain the sound, you know, because just like you're talking about now, you know, messing around with potentiometers and stuff. And right, uh, right. so, what is it you guys are looking for? Well, that is really a matter of taste. Okay. I know that that Eric went to, I guess, different pawn shops and stuff, and he would pick up a bunch of strats. And he would look for one that was lighter, you know, so that, it, you know, when you put it on, you're not weighing yourself down all night when you're playing. But along with that, being lighter and having a maple neck gives you a brighter sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a byproduct. I don't know if he knew that at the time, but, you know, it ended up being a, a good sound for Blackie. And uh, I kind of look for lighter woods as well as, like, if I'm building a Telecaster or anything, I'll get, like, a lighter ash kind of wood on it, and it would have more resonance. And more resonance, when you hit the string, it would sustain that string longer. That means that note would ring out longer. You know, so you'd have more opportunity of doing what you want with mute the note, do, you know, pick the note, whatever you want to do. Other than have a dead string and go there and it's done. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so it was, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I actually, um, you know, because I have a, uh, I'm going to say it's a 74, 75 Strat. It's a hardtail. It's black. Right. Nice. And, I got, and it's got a maple neck. But somewhere down the line, I actually bought it from um, Blackbird um, Vintage Guitars in, in Orlando, my friends over uh-huh. there. And somebody put a brass nut on it. And a brass bridge, and okay. it's a heavy guitar. It's over eight pounds, which is heavy for a. And, yeah. and I'm not sure if it's alder or what it's made out of, because alder is heavier than ash, right? Uh, actually, it depends on the ash. If it's swamp ash, it's it's lighter. Uh, not real sure. Well, anyway, that guitar just has such great sustain, and you're right about the maple neck because you know the rosewood fretboards, they're cool, you know, and they look. But there's something about a black. There's something about a maple neck. I can't explain it, and uh, I know Richie Blackmore. He likes maple necks. There's a lot of guitars yep. out there like those. In fact, well, the, his is scalloped. If, if you have that uh, that piece of rosewood on the neck, that it mellows out the sound. Yes, just, just on the on the fretboard. But like you said, you said it had a brass nut or something. Yeah, on it's it? got a brass nut and it has a brass, right. an aftermarket brass bridge. But it's very yeah. tastefully done. And it well, just, those alone are going to make the sustain twice as good. Yes. Yeah, because especially the nut, because if you had the, the old style nut and it's not a bone nut, it your string will deaden quickly. Plus, even if it's, even if it's new, yeah, know, it won't ring. Plus, someone put EMGs in there. Yeah, well, that's cool. I like those. Yeah, so I just left it alone, and I just thought it was kind of a cool guitar. It's like I have an old Kramer with a split tuning fork neck. That thing never goes out of tune, but the thing weighs like nine pounds. It's heavy. I mean, that just will kill you. Well, well, there's there's ways that you can make every guitar stay in tune. Well, that's true. That's a long story. You call me later. I'll tell you about it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to get into... Because uh, we, we got about uh, seven or eight minutes left, I want to talk about some of the other stuff that you worked on. So at one point we were talking about, um, you know, like uh, 
commercials, movies. Now, I didn't find the movie we're talking about, Gas. I found another one, which was the wrong one, but I played that one anyway. But Miami Vice, because you're down there in Florida, and you had an opportunity to do uh, some some music for them that I don't know if it ever got... Yeah, they, t- no, they didn't use them. I got okay. together, I guess, with Don Johnson, and, and he was telling me how what they were using... Uh, I had a chance to, to send it in, and the, the production stuff was already underway, so I couldn't use it. But uh, anyway, I was go- I was going like to talk about what I've been up to. Oh and yes, definitely. That, yes, yes. It's going to be uh, a bunch of original material that that I've been putting out, and I think I finally have four CDs worth of it because I'm like having to be a one man band and play everything. But uh, that's what I've been doing for the past decade is going over all these songs that I would sing into a, a, a handheld little recorder, just sing and play it, and I'm finally getting to the multitrack area where I'm going to be able to produce them up a bit and put them on a CD so they could have a, a barcode and a ISRC codes on them and be available to download or whatever so people know that I actually do write a shitload of songs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, wait a minute. Now, you got two uh, albums out right now, basically. you got Memory Lane, and the other one, which has got a great song on it, Crash, Burn, and Die, and then yeah. you've got and then you've got uh, Guitar Drive, and there's two yep. songs on there like It's Only Make Believe, which is cool, and She's My Harley Davidson. I like those. Those are cool yeah, songs. Yeah, there's actually two other ones. There's a Just For You CD and yeah. a World Class CD. And they got a bunch of different songs. Uh, I could tell you real quickly on the World Class CD. Yeah. During during the very first Gulf War, the one George Bush Senior. Uh, during that war, it was like televised when they went and they did the strikes and all that. So I listened to that and I wrote a song called World Class Heroes, and I wrote it and I recorded it. I had a home studio in Hollywood, Florida, so I got it done within one day and the next day it was it was done and i also did a radio broadcast that i recorded off the tv but i wasn't able to put it on the cd because i'd have to get permission from like cbs broadcasting or something to uh allow wolf blitzer or whoever it was you know to uh put it on the cd so i bypassed it and remixed it but that song is on the world-class cd Okay, and what's the name of that song? Story real quick. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's called World Class Hero, right? That's the name of the song. World Class Heroes is the name of the song as well. Okay, cool. I'm gonna have to uh, look that up. So, what else you got? You want to tell us about? Now, wait a minute. Now, your wife is. You're talking about her. She does something kind of interesting too. She kind of like in the mix with you a little bit, right? Yeah. Well, what she is is she's a professional choreographer. Okay. So when she hears little songs that I've got and she finally learned about shorts that are on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and those places. Right. So she did some artful dancing like shadow dancing and things like that and she put a little clip of my music onto it and uh, they're probably only 20 seconds long or something Uh real short and uh, you know they look great. She did a great job. I, I I don't know how she comes up with what she does, but it, you know that's that's one thing. So uh, yeah, so she's in the mix doing that, and and uh, I guess you can find them on YouTube. You know, just look George Terry Shorts or something. Interesting, interesting. So what else you got? So what do you have for hobbies? You know, I I I, 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 I know at one point I asked you about cars. You're not really a car guy, but you were into bikes. What kind of motorcycles were you into? 
Well, I had I had a couple of Harley Davidsons, mm-hmm. and uh, my last one was uh, was uh, gee, I, I, uh, a shovel head, oh. and uh, it was candy apple red. I had the big front tire on it, and, and it was kind of decked out really nice. Didn't have the saddlebags and everything. I was a very sport model, and uh, had that for a long time. And uh, finally, I sold it to a guy who. Uh, did a little refurbishing on it because it had a few rusty parts from the chrome, and he would take it around to shows, and he won a bunch of show trophies really? with, the, with the bike. But uh, but yeah, so I like my Harley Davidson, but no longer on the motorcycles. Too uh, too dangerous at me at this point to uh, take a spill on a motorcycle. <laughs> so I ain't going to mess with them, even though I know I I could drive them well. I'm not gonna. Well, let me ask you this. Now, back in the day, so let's just say, you know, Eric Clapp was a car guy. So when yeah. you guys were hanging out down there. Ferrari guy. Ferrari, actually. big time, yeah. And street rods, hot rods. He likes hot rods a lot because he's got Roy Brizio out in California building him some cool cars because him and Jeff Beck were buddies. Yeah, uh, Jeff's a great mechanic. Yeah. So anyway, so back in those days... When Eric Clapton would come to the United States, did you did, did he have any classic cars that he ride around with? Did you have anything old and cool back in the day? Actually, uh, I had some some uh, I don't, some uh, regular kind of models back in the day. Okay. Uh, the Ford Falcon, <laughs> something like that. Uh, you know, something you know, kind of crazy because I wasn't doing anything but driving around. And then I eventually I just got into a, a Volkswagen Beetle with a Porsche engine, oh. and I decided that that's the thing to have. <laughs> just recently here or back then? No, that was back in the day. I was like, you know, out of high school. Okay. You know, the first bands I was with, you know, so that's what I had. Well, you know, that's funny you mention that because Paul Newman actually had a Volkswagen and he put a Porsche engine in it. And, of course, he was up in New England and the whole that's story the goes. That's the way to go. Yeah. yeah. like a glove. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we got a few more minutes here, Terry. So, I mean, George. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what you get when you got two first names. When you got two first names, yeah. Well, what's your is your middle name a first name also? Probably. Yeah, all right. Uh, no, not really. All right. Okay, so uh, we got a few minutes left. Hobbies. What do you got for a quick hobby? Hobbies, hobbies, hobbies. Well, uh, I do enjoy the occasional role-playing video game. Really? And actually, right now, I'm on a fishing game called Fishing Planet. And, uh, you know, I'm just goofing with that. And uh, it's, it's kind of fun to pass the time waiting for to cook dinner or something. And then I also cook. Oh. Uh, which I, I learned from doing tours with Eric. I used to hang out in the kitchens and, and talk to the sous chefs and things and and ask them how they prepared stuff. So I learned all of that chef stuff going through France and, and Italy and everything else. And so I, I love cooking. So I'll cook my brains out. Okay. That's a great hobby. All right. So cooking and video games and, uh, of course, watching good movies, especially if they're older movies. Uh, for some reason, the newer movies, they, they have a scenario or a uh, some kind of, program that they have to have a certain amount of specific type of people in it. Yeah, I got it. I'll just say specific. <laughs> okay, that works. You'll, you'll have to guess. But <laughs> in the old days, you could do, do everything the way you wanted to and the way things usually were, especially the old cowboy movies and stuff like that. They were great. Well, it sounds like you're real nostalgic. That's kind of cool. I'm, I'm, I'm under the same thing. Well, 
George, we are uh, kind of up against the clock. I mean, I know you're down there somewhere in an undisclosed area in Florida, and you have a ranch. So do you have cattle on your ranch or any wild animals or anything like that? Uh, I, I had cows in the beginning, but I got rid of them, and then I got horses, and then I got rid of the big horses, and now I have mini horses. Mini horses? Yeah, I got little ones. They're not tiny minis. They're like in between kind of uh, uh, Shetland pony size. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, I got those, and we also have an onslaught of wild hogs that come and tear off the, up, up our turf. Oh. So I have to go and, uh, you know, cover the holes up, hire somebody with a, a, a box blade to come and run over and smooth them down again. <laughs> and uh, I, we have some hunters around here, and, and I was going to join a hunting party, but you'd have to stay up all night, and uh, I can't do that. So. Well, George, we are out of... Up- yeah, well, I, I get that. Uh, but anyway, we're up against the clock. So real quick, tell everybody if they, if you want, if they want to find out more about you, how do they go about doing it real quick? Uh, I guess uh, uh, the, the best thing to do is maybe go to YouTube and go to George Terry uh, Topic, which is the topic page. Uh-huh. And you'd be able to hear all the songs on all four of the albums for free. You know, just sit there and listen at your, disco, at your you know, a discretion, and I guess you choose what you want or a little bit of each one and see if you like any of them. Super. And uh, uh, then if, if you want to get them, you'd have to find a way to download them through, I guess, Amazon or uh, Apple Music or any of the other places that you do downloads. And eventually I'll make them for sale on my website so I could actually send you a hard copy. Okay. Well, George, we're up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Random Cars. I'm going to definitely sit to send you some stuff and uh, definitely look forward to having you back again. In the meantime, have a great new year, and thank you for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Random Cars. Okay, you too, and everybody, Merry Christmas out there. Okay. Bye-bye. Is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Jennifer Kuyper. U.S. military forces have shot down more than a dozen attack drones and several missiles fired by Yemen-based Houthi rebels at shipping vessels in the Red Sea. The Pentagon says there are no reported injuries. It comes after the Pentagon's announcement last night that it successfully launched retaliatory strikes against Iranian-backed militia groups in Iraq. CBS's David Martin. In t-